In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2008 St. Thomas Syrian Orthodox Na-Na-Na Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This one is Colossians 3, verse 19, and it reads like this. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So this is a good verse for us today because this in particular shooting was a domestic violence situation. And we always need to be aware of that because that's one of the, one of the top reasons that church uh, violence happens. So before we continue, I want to remind you to share this with your team and other staff and volunteers at your church. Get the download in the description below and keep the conversation going. Talk to your team members. Ask them what they think about um, what we're going to discuss today. All right, so let's jump right in. Um, November 23rd, 2008, uh, Sunday morning service at the St. Thomas Assyrian Orthodox Nanaya Church in Clifton, New Jersey, um, began at 1115. Uh, when a woman and her cousin went into the vestibule, she was met by her estranged husband who had driven there from California. He begged her to come home with him. She refused. He reached out to grab her. A member of the congregation saw this and stepped in to protect her. Um, he told the husband to leave her alone. The husband became irate, pulled out a handgun. At about 11.45, he began firing, hitting three persons, his wife, the defender, and her cousin. Um, after wounding these three people, the husband ran out, jumped into his Jeep, and drove away. The shots were heard in the sanctuary. Someone called 911. Police and EMTs arrived. While the medics treated the wounded before transporting them to the hospital, uh, police began interviewing witnesses and examining the crime scene. The victims each had head wounds. The wife the and the defender died. Her cousin was in critical condition and survived, but permanently disabled um, after recovery. Um, the shooter-slash-husband drove to Georgia, where he had relatives. Two days later, he was arrested. Uh, he freely confessed to the killings, even saying that if he had a machine gun, he would have killed everybody in the church. So according to available accounts, the killer grew up in the United States. Um, no mention was made of where he was born. However, he apparently had relatives in India. At age 24 or 25, he went to India to marry a woman. The marriage was arranged by the two families. However, um, her aunt um, lived in the U.S., warned, um, warned by some other family members that he had behavioral problems. So she told um, this woman, the wife, not to marry him, but she did anyway. Um, it, it, maybe it was his charm, whatever, or peer pressure, that made the wedding go on anyway, even though he had behavioral problems. Um, wedded bliss did not last long. The man was abusive. The behavioral issues were indications of possible mental illness. Lack of anger control was the major problem. 
she filed for a protective order um, and and left their home in Sacramento to go to New York to live with her aunt. Um, her aunt was a member of the congregation of the church where the shooting took place in Clifton, New Jersey. Uh, the husband knew the aunt and found out where she attended church. In late November, he packed his Jeep and drove to New Jersey. On the 23rd, he went into the church with his gun uh, in his coat pocket, and the rest is history. Uh, the first fallout of the shooting of the two deaths, the wife of the shooter and the man who intervened, um, the wife's cousin was wounded in her head, we talked about that already, and suffers lifelong disability and damage. The shooter was arrested at the relative's house about midnight, Monday night into Tuesday. Um, he freely opened, um, opened up to the interrogators, confessing that the shooting and claiming that he uh, would have killed the entire church if he could. He blamed the church where his wife's aunt was a member for breaking up his marriage. Apparently, he knew that she had warned her about you know not to marry him, and then she was also her confidant um, whenever they had a fight and whenever things happened. So the shooter was tried and convicted for two counts of murder in April of 2011. In May, he received two consecutive life sentences without parole. Um, his wife family asks for the maximum penalty. In 2022, so last year, he appealed the sentence claiming that the original attorney failed to pursue an insanity plea. He said that when his wife refused to go with him, his rage blinded him and he was out of his mind. This appeal is, um, is to the state Supreme Court since lower courts have rejected his appeals. Um, the shooting brought the the Nanaya sect to worldwide attention. Up to this time, they had been little noticed among many groups in the Indian, uh, Pakistani um, people demographic. Um, uh, and I guess they're not all Hindu, Sikh, or Muslim. Some are Christians, as this church was a Christian church. Um, in 2012, the law, uh, a law, uh, a law firm writing about illegal threats to church included this case in a list of shootings and places of worship where there was no armed resistance. Okay, so lots of lessons learned here, but I actually want to focus on one in particular thing. This is something that's really, the more and more I thought about the shooting, the more and more it just comes to the top for me. One of the things I think I have failed to do, or rather I know I failed to do, is in our security team fundamentals course, what needs to be added and what we all as safety team members need to be thinking about is intelligence gathering. So I want to kind of, let's go through this step by step and see how we as safety team members could have been forewarned about this situation. Now, I don't know if they were forewarned or not. I don't know that. But I still think it's a good example of how important our role is as safety team members to collect information. So this is what I basically mean. So the aunt of the, this wife that got killed, the aunt knew about his, the husband's violent history, right? I mean, this girl comes to go, you know, she confided in her, told her about all their fights. Um, when the protection order was put into place and she came to live with her. Um, she completely, you know, she knew about that. When they started, you know, when they showed up at church, 
um, the knowledge that those two had was quite a bit. And if the safety team is being proactive and talking to everybody at the church, establishing relationships, you could see how just talking to the aunt could have given them some sort of information. Especially in the cases once the aunt showed up with the wife, you know, with, you know, with the, the future victim at that point. The safety team member needs to be very aware of new people visiting. Um, one of my friends, James, I'm going to say his last name wrong, James Henkel, has talked to me many times about um, a policy their safety team has. And it's, and I'm going to probably get this wrong, no one remains anonymous. And the idea is, is that when the safety team sees somebody they don't know, even at that individual member, we need to be approaching them and greeting them to the church. So it could be simply as, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Chris. You know, are you know, good to see you. Glad to have you here. You know, are you new to the church? Um, what's your name and all that kind of stuff. And as you're engaging them and you're being very welcoming to them, you're evaluating their response, their body language, and all that kind of stuff. So we're getting to know them, and we're evaluating them for a potential risk or a potential threat. Now, some people are going to be put off a little bit. You know, you got introverts and extroverts. Some people are going to be, you know, they're going to show a little awkwardness, a little discomfort because you're talking to them. But I'm talking about the other things. And as you're developing a relationship you're, and you're talking to them, you're going to be looking at their body language. You're going to be looking at their facial expressions. You're going to listen to what they're saying and how they're saying it to evaluate them. And so in this case here, if the team is being aggressive in interacting with people, not only people that have been there a long time, the aunt, but also new people. So now here you go. You're talking to the aunt. The aunt knows, because you've talked to her a million times, that you're part of the safety team and your job is to look out for potential risks. So maybe the aunt during all this saying, hey, my, my you know, niece is coming here. Um, she's just left her husband from California. We're way across the country. Maybe we're safe. You know, who knows? But this is something that's going on and she's moving up here and she's going to be here. So that's the step one. Step two, someone you never saw before, the niece, the wife, approaching them, talking to them. Hey, how are you doing? So glad to have you here at church. You know, I understand you're the niece and you're interacting and you're, you're watching for those signs again. And the other thing that you're doing is you're creating a uh, avenues of communication, right? That don't exist unless you have a relationship with that person. Because you, 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 you can't think that a new person is going to come in and say, oh yeah, by the way, and they're going to tell you all their marital problems and all that kind of stuff. Maybe they will, but most people probably won't. But once again, you're kind of evaluating. And so both times, I'm hoping that either you're getting indications from their body language or what they're saying, and you're setting up that communication so they feel free to talk to you about stuff. Also, too, um, you know, just doing everything we can without... I mean, it's not a third degree here. We're not putting a spotlight in their face, but we're definitely talking to people and we're evaluating. And if that would have happened in this situation, then maybe they would have known. And with information, now we can take the next steps. You know, if you've been through my training, if you've listened to any of these podcasts, you know the importance of contact and cover. 
you know, even if you didn't have intelligence, a guy coming in like that arguing with these people, you can tell by looking at it that it's a domestic. And now we have to deal with the domestic and a potentially violent person. So there we are, we're, you know, contact and cover. Do we have backup? If things go south, you know, that they can respond, either call police and or, you know, jump in on the fight. Um, that's one more takeaway I guess I want to kind of get at is this, is I know a lot of you are of a certain age. And when I talk to you, you're not very comfortable with going hands-on with people. But I think one of the, and one of my, what I tell a lot of you is this, is all of us can get better. You know, we can learn a couple skills. We can, we can get in a little bit better health for the most part. Some of us have serious limitations, but there's probably better. Your doctor's probably telling you, hey, you could, you know, do this or do that and physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. We need to take advantage of that because in this situation here, the defender clearly unarmed, um, presented with a guy who's irate, pulls a gun, and only had a second. And if that second is a hesitation because you've never put your hands on somebody before or at least haven't had some sort of training, it can result in death. The other thing is this, also knowing when to back away. So here's your other option. So one, sometimes you have no option. You have to go hands-on. You have to respond to that attack. Um, but then uh, other things too is we don't know how quickly this evolved. Was this a one-minute situation or was it really heating up over a time frame? And we have to read these situations and know when to back off and when to call 911. If the defender backed up, or you know, assuming this was a longer event, if the defender backed up and, and called police, got out of the area, now the wife still could have ended up being killed. She could have been abducted. Some bad things could have happened, but without a gun and without backup, um, maybe that would have been a better choice. You know, we all know there's about a thousand factors could, that could change that suggestion. But my point here is to give you two ideas. Number one, you might have to go hands-on. Number two, um, and number two, there are sometimes less um, aggressive responses that we could take to defuse the situation or at least prolong it. So please have time to respond. So basically that's it. Um, if you're part of my academy and you go through my training, um, hopefully very soon the security team fundamentals is now going to include a section on the team's responsibility to collect intelligence and how to go about doing that in the most uh, non-invasive, non-anti-hospitality way possible, but enough to protect us and the congregation. Other than that, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you for your patience. I know this is coming out more than a week late. Um, we, had, we just got done. You know, there's something about the new year that brings in lots of new students. And I've been for two and a half weeks, have been taking phone calls, answering emails, chats, text messages. It's just been a complete um, it's been busy, but for good reasons. So thank you so much for being here. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.